Welcome to the latest podcast from the London Institute of Banking and Finance, lifelong partners of financial education. Learn more about our qualifications at www.libf.ac.uk. The London Institute of Banking and Finance and Seven Investment Management recently conducted research among the over 50s to find out how well prepared they are for retirement, their aspirations for later life and their attitudes to money and saving. What comes through loud and clear is, whilst they dream of a long, happy retirement that ends with them passing on a nice inheritance to their children, the reality for many could be painfully different. Around half say they haven't saved enough for retirement, and a third worry about how they'll manage. Only 20% have taken advice. What's also startling is that very few are factoring in assets like property, even though it accounts for more than half their total wealth. For many, their properties are the main thing that stands between them and hardship in later years, but downsizing or equity release isn't yet on the radar. So there seems to be a mismatch between people's expectations and the reality many will face. Alison Pask, as Managing Director of Financial Capability and Community Outreach at the London Institute of Banking and Finance, your focus is on financial education and improving capability across the UK. Why do you think there's a reality gap for the over 50s? Put simply, it is due to a lack of financial education. Some of us, perhaps those of us that work in financial services, are better able to think about the future. But it's only as recent as 2014 that financial education went into the national curriculum. So what role can financial education play? We've seen a lot in the media, the fact that the current generation, the younger generation, the millennials, they're going to be the most most challenged financially. They're probably going to be for the first, first time ever a generation that will be worse off than their parents. They need to know how to plan, how to seek and most importantly understand the advice that they're being given. Crucially they need to have a level of resilience that we've never had to have. But the research tells us that many don't take advice. Why is that? What do you suggest people do about getting more knowledge and information? I don't think people truly understand what advice actually is and what the different avenues are. So it isn't just about going to a financial advisor. There are lots of great organisations that are able to give headline guidance as opposed to advice. And there's also been some reputational damage with the financial services industry, but people do need to seek advice from specialists and charities that are designed to do exactly that, to give you guidance and support and ultimately in the financial advisor space advice. So why do you think people aren't considering property as part of their retirement planning because it, it makes up more than half their assets in value? Is it fear, lack of understanding? So I know some people and certainly um, people that I know have property as part of their retirement portfolio but again they're people that have a greater understanding of how the property market works and how to ride the highs and the lows of it and also I think people see the bricks and mortar as a, a level of protection and the thought of parting with that in the future is a, is a scary one. It comes back to advice and understanding. So one of your key areas is encouraging the take-up of financial education in schools. You've talked about the challenges that are facing millennials. How's that going? Oh, it's going incredibly well. So we have been involved as an organisation um, in financial education in schools since 2003. So we've got lots of experience and we've seen our business grow from back in 2003 working with 
24 schools and we're now working with 770 and 53,000 students. So there's been real growth, but it hasn't happened overnight. Financial education going into the national curriculum has certainly played a part in raising awareness and getting schools to do more than just get the local bank manager to come in and talk about a bank account. So do you, do you see that programme continuing? Because obviously that's 53,000 students that are getting access to something their parents and grandparents didn't have, but it's still quite a small number in terms of the total yeah. population. It's a drop in the ocean. 770 schools, there's 7,500 secondary schools in the UK. We are part of um, a group of organisations, charities mainly, who are very passionate about the impact of financial education supported by the Money Advice Service. So there are a lot of organisations, we're all working together, we've got a group called the Youth Financial Capability Group, and each of us is driving levels of, levels of financial education in different ways. So we're all about qualifications, but other organisations are about um, interventions in schools. So there's, there's lots of great activity going on, and the Money, Money Advice Service have actually invested very heavily in finding out what works, and in fact there's a, a What Works Fund that has been investing in lots of fabulous organisations. So it's far from job done. In fact, it almost still feels like the very beginning, but we're very positive about the outlook. Great, and I think the Young Person's Money Index, that's a piece of research that you run every year, it shows different levels of financial education in schools and one of them, the most popular ways for teachers to incorporate it is through maths. Do you think that's the right route or do you think there's a better option? Maths is a contributor because at least being able to understand how to do calculations. But something which is a particular bugbear of mine is the fact that people think if children are good at maths, therefore they'll be good at their finances. That's not true. They can calculate a percentage in terms of APR. But maths has a part to play, but it certainly isn't the answer. So it's currently placed in maths and citizenship, and there has been some improvement. It doesn't necessarily need to be a standalone qualification, but it should be taught across curricula. There's lots of great learning from financial education, from, you know, if you take some of, some, some other subjects, even, even geography, there are some real wins across the curriculum. That's really interesting, but do you think financial education, assuming it does continue to grow in the secondary uh, school space, should be included for younger children? Absolutely. The, with the um, emergence of technology around uh, money, children are less and less experiencing the, the when it's gone it's gone theory so if you've got a pound you need to go into a shop and you spend 60 pence you've only got 40 pence left that's not happening anymore so the younger we can start with children when they're forming what sometimes will be lifetime habits and there is research out there to back this up so the sooner the better and it is it, it is something which again some of the groups that I've mentioned previously are lobbying for which is primary education starting at secondary almost has a sense of potentially too late. So the younger generations, there's, there's hope for them in terms of financial education and there, there's lots of progress being made. Coming back to the over 50s, what can, what can organisations like the London Institute of Banking and Finance do to help them or where should they go for advice and how can they improve their knowledge but also their confidence about financial services? Okay, a couple of points that you're asking there. A key one around the, 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 the adult, the grown-up. So we do a lot of work in the wider community, predominantly focused on people who are more vulnerable. Vulnerable just through lack of education, lack of finances. So we as an organisation are working 
outside of the schools and in the broader community, in the broader school community, so parents, carers, um, youth workers. But I think the main thing is for people to be interested and talk about it and take take advice, do some research. We spend forever using mobile devices, you know, looking at Twitter, watching Love Ireland, whatever it might be, but actually take the time to think about it. Find out what your choices are. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Alison Pask. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can find out more information about attending our talks and events at www libf.ac.uk forward slash events. Want to get involved? Contact us at podcast at libf.ac.uk.